Okay, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we're going to be looking at now uh, the last, starting into the last two chapters, chapter 21 and 22 of our study, Meeting Jesus. Now, if you remember, what have we been doing? We've been here, boy, we've been here almost a year now, going through the Gospel of John, and our purpose is to get to know Jesus. Because, well, again, as I originally said way back when we started this, we have this concept of Jesus, but sometimes I don't think we really understand who he is or especially how he interacts with us. And so as we've done this study, we've been learning more and more about Jesus, but we've also been learning about ourselves. And that's especially going to be true today because now when we get to chapter 20, Jesus has risen from the Lord, now from the dead, and he is Lord. And we know that John, as he shares this, he's going to share some stories here that are in the other Gospels, but he's also somewhat brief because he wants to point out certain things to us that the other Gospels don't point out to us. And so today we're going to see Peter and John running to the tomb after it's been discovered to be empty. We're going to see Mary fretful and hurt about what's going on and Jesus showing up in the midst of that. Now, why are we looking at this? What, what, what is the point? Well, the first thing we want to know is, you know, we want to address the issue of darkness. So before I give you the point, I want you to, well, here's the tendency. The tendency is when we read this, it's just to read it and forget what's going on. So I want us to pause for a moment, and I want us to consider what's going on for those folks on that morning. And I want you to enter into their darkness. To understand what's going to happen here with what we're going to read here, you've got to enter into their darkness. Why? I want you to think about this for a moment. So these are folks who Jesus personally called three years beforehand. These are folks, he called them from wherever they were, fishermen or whatever. He healed them in the case of Mary Magdalene. He healed them, cast demons out of them. He really interacted in their lives. And so they put all their hopes and faith and trust in him. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed he was going to turn the world upside down. And they loved him. All right, listen to me. You can follow a guy, but in this instance, they didn't just follow him. They loved him. Because he loved them. And on a Friday, their entire world got turned upside down. Why? Because he's wrongly accused wrongly beaten, wrongly executed, wrongly shoved into a grave. And so they don't know what we know. They don't know about Sunday coming. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? All they know is, is that everything they hoped in was gone. And so now their dreams and their hopes are crushed and they're in darkness. And so that brings me the the first point I want to make, the only fruit that crushed hopes and dreams yield is pain. 
They're in pain. I think we can relate to that, right? You know, I'm looking at a crowd here that uh, I think everybody by this point, maybe if you haven't, you're, you're okay, you're lucky. At some point, some of you have faced, maybe multiple times, something where you have had hopes and dreams for something to take place, and it never happened. Or it got yanked from you. Or it got destroyed. And, and your emotions are raw. And the pain is real because you were hoping for something to take place. And it didn't happen. And so you were crushed. And, and in this instance, you can relate to them, right? So... The only fruit that crushed hopes and dreams bring is yield or what? Pain. Pain. And we know the outcome of that, right? You think of people, I was, in fact, I was kind of reminded of that this week. I'm reading a, you know, we went through Dane Ortland's book here as a church uh, called Gentle and Lowly. I was encouraged to read another book he wrote called Deeper. It talks about spiritual growth. And in one chapter I was reading, it was really a good chapter. It was on pain, okay? It was on pain. And so this was really good. He talked about how when we face pain, we have two choices, to either look to God or turn away from God. And oftentimes when our dreams are crushed and our hopes are crushed, we turn away from God because we don't want to take another chance. We don't want to take another chance. And I thought, wow, isn't that so true? We don't want to take another chance. So here's this. With God, the darkness of the moment must give way to the light. And that's what we're going to see here, is that with the darkness of the moment, it has to give way to light. And so my thoughts went to Psalm 30, verse 5. Maybe you've never heard this verse before. It's really a good verse. Here's what it says. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for, the, for life. Okay, but here's the second part. Here's what I want you to hear. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's the reality of what we see here. What we're going to see here is, I want you, are you relating to them? They're crushed. Their hopes are crushed. It's, it's, the Sabbath is over now. The Sabbath would have ended Saturday evening. Well, they can't do anything. It's not like they have lights that they can flick on and go and take care of him in a tomb. So they got to go early in the morning to take care of him. And they're going to go and, well, let's read it together. And you're going to see what happens here. Look with me. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. Of chapter 20. Here's what John records. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. 
Peter therefore went and the other disciple went and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And Mary, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Wow. Interesting passage as we read here. And we're going to get into this. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things, do two things here. We're going to see Jesus. That's why we're doing this, right? We want to meet Jesus. So I want you to see a dimension of Jesus. We've seen it before. Nothing's changed. But we're also going to see ourselves. In who? These disciples. Because their reactions are our reactions. They're human. Nothing's new with the way they react. So what we're going to do is we're going to really divide this section into two portions here. We're going to talk about the discovery, the discovery of the empty tomb, and then we're going to talk about the interaction, the interaction between Jesus and Mary, okay? So let's talk about the discovery. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. The report of the empty tomb drew some to check it out for themselves. Okay. All right, so let me help you to understand what's going on here. Their customs were a lot different than ours. When somebody passes away here, we typically will go to... Almost everybody goes to an undertaker who will take care of preparing the body and then is prepared for burial or cremation. That's what we do in our culture. In Jesus' day, it was completely different. It was up to the family to take care of the body. And what they would do is, is they would go through a whole process of washing the body, 
anointing the body with oils and herbs and wrapping the body for the burial. And that was up to the family and the friends of the deceased for that to take place. Now the problem is, Jesus dies and is buried just as the Sabbath is getting ready to take place. And on the Sabbath, are they allowed to work? No. So they can't do anything. They have to wait until what? The Sabbath is over. Then they can go to the tomb and take care of the burial preparations. And we know John is only listing one person. Several of the women went. John is only focused on the one, Mary Magdalene. And they went because they loved Jesus and it would be their task to prepare his body for the rest of its existence as a body in that grave. So there she is early in the morning before the sun gets up. Shows up at the tomb and stones rolled away. She looks inside, the body's gone. What does she do? Beelines, heads it back to Jerusalem, just a few miles away. Tells the other disciples, comes in, Simon Peter's there, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that? John. In his humility in this gospel, John can't point out it's him. He's got to say the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so they both head out. And what do they do? They, they go, and of course, John's younger. They assume John may have been about 16 years old at this point, maybe a little bit older. He's obviously faster than Peter, and so he books it, heads to the tomb. And he stops at the tomb. Now, why does he stop at the tomb? Well, to come in contact with, if you're Jewish, to come in contact with a dead body would render you what? Unclean. Which means you would have to go through all kinds of purification, separate yourself, and whatever. Now, he gets there, he waits for Peter to show up. Now, if you notice, remember Peter? I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I'll give my life for you. Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, Peter, but you'll deny me three times. Well, guess what? Peter still, even though he denies him and he's carrying that burden, he still loves Jesus. And so when he gets there, does he even hesitate? He runs right into the what? The tomb. And he's looking at the grave clothes and at the, the headscarf that was put on him, the handkerchief, so to speak, as the scripture would record. Why? Because they love him. And they're devastated, and they want to know what's going on. And Because here at this point, they don't know that he's risen from the dead. They're thinking somebody took his body, which is only adding injury to the insult already, right? Their, their hopes are crushed. Their dreams are gone. And now we just want to give him a proper burial, and he's not even there anymore. Somebody took his body. So they had to check it out for themselves. But here's what the scripture tells us. And it's in the person of John. Look with me. I think it's very interesting. Verse 9 and 10. Verse, excuse me, verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and what? Believed. Believed. What did he believe? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Here's what I'm saying. Some believe based on their personal experience. Why? Because at this point, they didn't know the scripture. The very next verse says, at this point, they didn't know the scripture which said that he would rise from the dead. 
he goes in, he sees the situation, and somehow because of the way the grave clothes were laying and the fact that the handkerchief had been folded and put on its side, he believed that who was alive? Jesus. And so we have the discovery. Now, it's interesting. I've got to make this point. I thought about this as I was writing this. When we get a little bit further into the discussion, we're going to see Jesus coming into contact with somebody else called Thomas. We're going to look at that next week. Remember Thomas? He's called Doubting Thomas. Okay? If he's a Doubting Thomas, we're in trouble because we doubt too, right? Okay? Well, the problem is, unlike John who just saw an empty tomb and believed, Thomas needed a little bit more. We'll talk about that later. See, different people are at different levels as far as what they need to know to believe. And John, all he saw was what his experience was, the empty tomb. And he believed. And guess what? They go home. At least the guys do. Because the girl stayed. And why? Because she's beside herself. How do you know that, George? Well, we're going to read here in a moment that she looks into the tomb and sees two angels and she has a conversation with her and it does include to her that these are angels. How is that possible? She is blinded by her grief. Do you understand? She's blinded by her grief that she's just carrying on a conversation with a couple of angels and she doesn't even know. Because she's hurting. And this interaction to me is so powerful. Man, John is filled with many powerful illustrations. We're going to see it next week in his interaction with, with Thomas. The week after that, which might be in the new year, we're going to see his interaction with Peter. That's the Jesus that loves us. And here's what we're going to see. Notice with me, first of all. Some had not fully grasped that Jesus is alive. Mary didn't grasp it. Mary Magdalene didn't grasp it. So, I mean, think about this. Let me read it to you. I mean, this just blows your mind. Look at me in verse 11. Here's what it says. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. So she's beside herself. She's, she is weeping. And guys, weeping isn't just shedding a few tears. She is mourning, okay? And she as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Two angels in white, Okay? sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And then she said to them, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's carrying on a conversation. It hasn't clued into her yet that there's something supernatural happened here. It hasn't even clued into her. She's seeing two dudes in white. She's not even cluing in that these are angels. Why? Because all she sees is her pain. All she sees is her grief. You been there? All you see is your loss. All you see is your crushed hopes. All you see is your dreams that have been destroyed. And all you can see and everything is filtered through those glasses of that pain. And that's what's going on here. She's not cluing in. She, she is not seeing. So some did not fully grasp that he was alive. Here's what else happens. It's interesting. Verse 15. So as she's talking to them, Jesus is behind her. Look at verse 15. 
Then Jesus said to her, woman, okay, stop for a moment. He's not being rude. Remember in, uh, in uh, John, earlier chapter, the wedding at Cana, he said to his mother, woman. Some people want to look at it through 20, 21st century eyes and say that he's, he's being rude. No, that's just the way they addressed people back then. They were, it's not a derogatory statement. It's just the way that they're addressing it. And he says to her, woman, verse 15, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And so here she turns around and she doesn't, she's so struck with grief. She doesn't even realize who it is. She thinks it's the gardener, the guy who tends the cemetery. And she's what? Here's what she says. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where it is and I will take him away. Oh, I'll get him. Just tell me where he is. And then he says to her, Mary. That breaks through. First of all, no gardener would know what her name is, right? Here's what I want you to see. And this is true not just in this instance, but in all instances. After his resurrection, Jesus only appeared personally to his followers. After his resurrection, Jesus only appeared to his followers. Now you say, what about Paul? I'm talking about right after his resurrection here. In the days before he ascended, he only appeared to who, folks? His followers. Isn't that interesting? He didn't show up. The scriptures don't say he showed up with Pilate. Hey, look who's here. Or to the to the chief priests and the elders. Wouldn't that have been a shock to them if Jesus said, hey, you thought you could kill me? I mean, that's the way we think, right? No, he doesn't waste his time. And that's exactly right. He doesn't waste his time because what his concern is, is for what? His followers. For you and I. That's what I want you to see here. So, here is the reality. So he says, Mary, and guess what she does? Remember, she's, she's grief-stricken. Her hopes and dreams are crushed. Her reaction is natural. She turns around and realizes who it is. She says, teacher, and she grabs a hold of him because he's alive. We understand that, right? So what does he tell her? Don't cling to me. <laughs> Don't hang on. There's things to be done. I've yet to go ascend to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. Don't cling to me. And here's what I want you to see is, while personally interacting with those he loved, he still kept his focus. Jesus still has the big idea in mind. He still has the, the ultimate plan, the will of God in mind. Yes, he's interacting with her, but he's like, oh, listen, it's okay, but we've got to keep going on here. Got to keep going on. Got to keep going on. You know, you think for a moment. How, do, how does this relate to us, George? Well, remember, I tried to set the setting for you with the reality of where they're at. So I, in their mind, when you're reading this, they did not know he was alive. All they knew is they got a report, the tomb's empty, they go there. They, they're, they're going there with the reality of crushed dreams and hopes that the one they love is dead. 
And then they find out he isn't. And even as they're, they're crying out in their crushed dreams and hope, guess what Jesus does? This is what's so wonderful about Jesus. He didn't leave them in their pain. I want you to think with me. When we get a little bit further, when we get into chap, chapter 20, verse 19 on, Jesus appears, they're in, the, they're in this room, doors locked because they're afraid of somebody coming to get them. We're going to look at this next week. And there he's like, boom, right in their midst. Jesus walks through walls, boom, he's right there. He could have waited to show himself then, couldn't he? She would have been there. He could have just waited. But here she is, by the tomb, broken-hearted, crushed, thinking now that somebody's taken his body. And here's the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't leave her there. Did you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't leave her there. He shows up and he says to her, Mary. And she knew immediately. And she embraced him. So much so he had to say, let go of me. That's your Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the Jesus you serve. That's the Jesus who saved you. That's the Jesus who cares for you. That's Jesus. What does that have to do with me, George? You're here because... Man, maybe there is some crushed dream. Maybe there is some crushed hope. Maybe you are in despair. You got your, your good front on because that's what we do in church, right? Make sure that everything looks good, right? Be a mess on the inside, but look good on the outside, right? And here you are, and you're like, man, how can I do this? He knows. And he loves you. And he'll come to you too. What do you mean come to me, George? When you go to him in prayer, he's that sense of peace that comes into your life when you pray, when you pour out your heart to him. Speaking, whispering to your soul, it's okay, I'm with you. He's that real. He's, it's that Real. Jesus is that real. He cares for you. When will we realize this? Listen to me, folks. Christianity is more than just a church service. Isn't that what we say here? Kermansville Christian Church is more than a service. It is. It's more than a service. Christianity is more than just a service to attend. Christianity is more than just a doctrine to believe. Christianity is the very real person of Jesus alive and interacting in our lives. Because he loves you. So that's what she does. 
I mean, I would have just kept hanging out, but obviously the Lord's presence tells you you've got to go do something. Look with me, verse 18. It says, but Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. What does she do here? Having seen the risen Lord, she told others what she had seen. She went and told others. Now, guess what? If she had gone back, she wouldn't have to convince John, right? He would already have believed, right? Because he saw the empty tomb. He would have believed. Uh, maybe Peter, but Peter's also racked with guilt. We're going to see that. We get into chapter 21, right? But here's what her task was. She went and did what he said. And that's just tell others. Hey, can I tell you something? Let's talk about evangelism for a moment. We complicate evangelism. You know, I, I, when I think of evangelism, I think of when I first became a believer in that little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina, and Tuesday night visitation. You know, and showing up with my tie and going out on Tuesday night with the preacher to somebody's house who doesn't even know who we are. We knock on the door and go and interrupt their show to talk to them about Jesus. And that's what our concept of, the, of evangelism is, is interrupting people and, and, and telling them things they don't want to know. Wrong concept. Get that out of your mind. Evangelism is simply telling them about who? Jesus and how he interacts in your life. And where do you do it? In your everyday life as you come across people, not just on Tuesday night. Every day. Well, I don't know that I know everything. You don't have to know anything. All you need to know is who? Jesus. And if you become more passionate when you share about the one that you interact with, when just some doctrine you're spousing off. So there he is. Where do we go with this? Embrace Jesus. We say, I'm, I'm saved. Yeah, but embrace him. Allow him to come into your crushed hopes and your dreams. Because he is your hope and your dream. Embrace him. Because he loves you. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that next week. When he comes to a guy, he shows up, and the guy's not there, and the guy says to his buddies, Hey, unless I see him and unless I touch his side and touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. Guess what? Jesus shows up and says, hey, I hear you're not going to believe. Come, take a feel. Peter, do you love me? Three times. Why would he do that? Because he denied him one, three times. Isn't that... That tells you something about Jesus, right? He reaches you where you're at personally. So embrace him. Let me pray for you.